listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It is great to be with all of you. I am here with Father Tim Grumbach, one of our favorite guests here on Trending. He is the associate priest at St. Augustine Parish in Los Angeles, along with working with young Catholic professionals, lighting, and various other ministries in his spare time that he isn't giving to Trending. Yeah, you would think that I've got nothing nothing else to do, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I love being here. It's so I'm so grateful that you have me here. We have to pray for energy for Father Tim because it's one day off a week. He ends up up at least once a month giving to us here at trending so it's all grace yeah. actually i have a friend that reminded me yesterday that the priest said you can't do it without grace and that there's so much grace given to us just to do the the daily life and so that's what this all amounts up to and you know that's a really good testament and reminder for us because we're talking about issues surrounding abortion population collapse the major trial of david delighton one of the biggest pro-life hearings we have seen in quite a while which they're in the preliminary trials for before a month-long trial beginning in October. So we'll be talking about that, an autopsy that has actually confirmed that a woman was killed by abortion, but we'll get into the nitty gritty and politics of all that. So don't go away. Father Tim, I want to start by talking about the perspective that some people have on crisis pregnancy centers. You may know I did a recent video with Jubilee Media uh, online and I was uh, three pro-life people, one of three pro-life people with three pro-abortion individuals speaking about our perspective on abortion, trying to find some middle ground and it was so interesting to me because when I'd bring up over and over again the work of the crisis pregnancy centers one of the things I saw coming from the individuals was that they couldn't really quite believe that that was possible that people were willing to just help that it was just random people people from churches not government entities willing to help give people a car for a woman who's in crisis pregnancy or a formula whatever it might be yeah, and they're so struck by that charity in the real meaning of the word of this desire to love and to show love to not just the unborn child, but to the mother and to you know love them both. They're so struck by it, but their only attack they have left is, oh, these people aren't trained to make medical decisions, <laughs> you know, as if love wasn't enough to actually take care of uh, those who are most in need. Oh, and it's so interesting that they have that perspective, yet we live in a time where you know, I think there's such a dependence at times for social services, yet when, when there's a social service offered to women for pregnancy, there's an attempt in the media to really smear it in many ways. And that's what we saw. I don't watch the show. I do not recommend it. We talked about it some time ago, 13 Reasons Why. But I heard that Chloe, one of the characters in 13 Reasons Why, ends up obtaining an abortion. And in preparing, actually, for this, she visited a crisis pregnancy center. And not only on the show... 13 reasons why but also in interviews the actress is ann winter and she has been really smearing crisis pregnancy centers ever since she played that part in the show and they begin calling it fake abortion clinic <laughs> as, as if we're trying to be an abortion clinic 
but we're just faking it. You know, it, what, a, what a terrible use of language that Orwellian turn of phrase that, um, you know, they're just using language against us and misunderstanding the whole mission of the crisis, the, the crisis pregnancy centers is yes, to love them both and to you know, in, invite love into the situation instead of this, this cold medical and, you know, using words like, you know, choice and consequentialism in, you know, such a way as to, you know, really, make the culture of death come alive. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I get where Anne Winter is coming from because in a sense I do, I have spent numerous years working in the crisis pregnancy centers. Uh, my parents opened up a maternity home when I was just a little girl. So for actually women to come and live in. So I've seen the great elements of crisis pregnancy center work in maternity homes, but I've also seen some of the aspects where maybe the people were a little pushy and um, how they conversed about certain moral issues. And that that's unfortunate. I'm sorry when that happens, but I can say the vast majority of crisis pregnancy centers are incredibly loving, non-judgmental human beings who are doing everything they can to see you right where you're at, whether you are a 13-year-old girl who's pregnant, whether you're someone who has been raped, whether you're someone who's in a physically abusive relationship, wherever you may be. And what's incredible is that many of these crisis pregnancy centers walk with the women for years to come because they recognize that abortion attempt was just a band-aid for the rest of her circumstances that she really needs help with. Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective is understanding that so much of the culture is trying to um, handle the symptoms without understanding the root. And when we only try to fix the symptoms, and that can be, you know, on the pro-life movement, sometimes only attempting to, you know, cover up the symptoms without understanding the root. I don't know if the um, pro-abortion side has the ability to really get down to the root of it and understand, you know, and with especially the language that we have of sin and redemption and the dignity of the human person, but all they can use is this, you know, almost, you know, lacking a philosophical, uh, philosophical way of understanding choice and mm -hmm. consequence and, um, you know, where choice becomes the God. And instead of, you know, God giving us a choice. Well, it's interesting because they think their, you know, source of the whole issue is contraception. Mm -hmm. It's always what it comes back right. to for them. And I was thinking about this earlier, Father Tim. I'd love your take on this. By the way, for those who are just joining us, that's Father Tim Grumbach. I am Timory. And we are here on Trending. It's great to be with you. The perspective that I was thinking about earlier this week is we live in a time where people are saying we have less and less in common than ever before. Hmm. And I was thinking about, well, what do we have in common? If people aren't necessarily identifying with some sort of religious Christian worldview, uh, there's this turning away from the Bible for some people. Well, what do we have in common? Well, a lot of people aren't having children anymore. So in many ways, the common denominator is sex. Mm -hmm. And so for them, well, the answer to everything is do whatever you want sexually. There should be no judgment sexually because that's the only thing we have in common. Yeah. And it's an identifying factor for a lot of people now is that it's become less an expression of the love that identifies us and you know, the participation in, in God's creative act and more so about, you know, my identity is you know, based on my attractions and my sexual expression, you know, rather than the expression be something of our identity. And you know, we're just getting lost in the midst of a, a sexual culture that is unable to really understand its own identity. One part that was really interesting, Father Tim, from the interview that Ann Winter did about her character who had the abortion and 13 Reasons Why, again, not recommending the show in any way whatsoever, just talking about her interviews. But during one of her interviews with Entertainment Weekly, she ends up talking about how she was getting into the zone for 
acting out that abortion part of her character. And she talked about the, quote, vacuum noise and Mm -hmm. how every time it really got her into the character. And she talked about how raw that noise was. It sounds to me like that noise had an impact, just that noise of a vacuum, the type of abortion sound really woke her up in a sense to, wow, this is actually real. Just unfortunately, she's falling on the side of being pro-abortion rather than that convicting her heart some. Yeah, I was finding it so hard to understand that she could go into that experience and begin to say, wow, this is so real, but then still come out saying, oh, but this is so important that we'd be able to do this. You know, and not to equate it exactly, but it's almost like going into a, a war zone and hearing the the gunfire, hearing the cannons going off, hearing the, the the cries of dying men, and saying, "Wow, this is so real. We need to keep doing this. Uh, you know, this is important." And uh, it's it's just really hard for me to understand how she could have had that experience but still come out. You know, it's it's almost the complete opposite of anybody who was acting on the you know the the set of unplanned. Right. And, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just, they get the reality of it and they say, "Oh no, this is awful." Yeah, and yeah. people who were pro-life before have become so ardently pro-life after mm-hmm. acting in and mm-hmm. watching that movie unplanned mm-hmm. from the same type of experience of the abortion procedure. Here's what stood out to me. I think part of the reason why Anne Winter kind of mentioned how raw and in character the vacuum sound of the abortion was for her because she's so desensitized. Mm-hmm. I wonder what else do you see that is so raw, so intense, so hard that it has gotten you to the point where you are so desensitized that a vacuum noise Mm. of ending a human being's life, even if acting, isn't somehow disturbing you. Yeah. And and what a strange risk the the show makers have taken in portraying an actual abortion scene, apparently. Right. That it could so go the other way of of people watching this saying, I can't believe the the raw and the power of that sound and how awful that is. But they've taken this risk in order to promote it and mm-hmm. show. But it's an interesting um, you know, turn of emotion for this young woman is that she says that she, she learned how not to judge her friends because of going through this experience of acting through this experience of, uh, of an abortion in a TV show. And you know, I, that's a great thing. You know, that's, that's something that, that everybody on every side needs to learn is the difference between judging the person and judging the act and, yeah. you know, who, who, what, what is evil? Is it the person or is it the act? And, you know, we as Catholics very much say it's the act that's evil. And so our sorrow is for those people who have been drawn into it, who are supporting it and encouraging it and promoting it. Um, and that, you know, the people themselves are not evil, but they've been drawn into something that is so evil. Um, so what a strange, you know, turn of emotion for her that, you know, it, it taught her how to, how to not judge those who are experiencing it, um, but she didn't learn how to judge the act properly. Mm, It is so true. And I think that many would be surprised, kind of bringing this back to the crisis pregnancy center situation, many would be surprised that those counselors have so little judgment for that woman, which is hard, I think, at times, Mm. because sometimes you see the nitty gritty of what's going on, but in reality, it's the act that they fight against, Mm -hmm. and it's that woman that they fight for, and that is the incredible testimony of the crisis pregnancy centers, and for anyone who's not more familiar with the work they do, I encourage you, get in contact with your local crisis pregnancy centers. See how you might be able to help get literature to local high schools or wherever it might be so that more women know of these resources. 
That's Father Tim Grumbach here with us on Trending. We will be back in just a bit. We'll be talking about things such as the major pro-life case, one of the biggest court cases in the pro-life movement we've seen in a while. That is against David Daleiden here in the state of California with Planned Parenthood, STEM Express, and some of the other organizations that had been procuring fetal tissue illegally. That's taking the aborted baby parts and selling them for research. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. A little later, we'll be talking about a biopsy that confirms, sorry, a biopsy. Huh. <laughs> An autopsy. We wish it had merely been a biopsy. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. Um, An autopsy that actually confirmed that a woman was killed by abortion. We'll get into the nitty gritty of it. And for those who don't know, you'll understand a little bit more about the statistics surrounding deaths as a result of abortion because of this autopsy. So we'll come in on that in just a bit. We'll also be talking about the censorship um, of pro-life content and who the fact checkers are. But related to all of this, we were talking about crisis pregnancy centers earlier. Earlier, it's interesting, Father Tim, you pointed out the Knights of Columbus are actually under a lot of heat right now for their pro-life work, which includes their awesome work with crisis pregnancy centers. Yeah, my experience with the Knights is, you know, going back years and years is, you know, their great love for the mission of the crisis pregnancy centers. I remember being out in Lancaster for about a year doing some internship while I was in the seminary. And we had a very strong Knights of Columbus uh, organization, and they were you know, doing everything they could to support the the center that was out there in the Antelope Valley, buying machines that, that can help uh, with ultrasounds and just doing everything that they can support, uh, you know, fundraisers and, and luncheons and dinners. And that may be one of the reasons that they're very much coming under fire uh, by you know, uh, those in politics and especially politicians who are members of the Knights of the Columbus are, right. are get, being scrutinized in uh, you know, o- almost ridiculous ways for those of us who understand the mission of the Knights. And I saw there's a recent article in a mainstream news area really criticizing the Knights in the way, because for those who don't know, Knights not only are involved in great charitable work, but they also have insurance policies, um, mm-hmm. life insurance policies. Right. And so there was brought into question through some article the way those insurance policies are functioning. From what I've seen yet, there's nothing of concern in what's happening. But I think that, like you said, the reason they're coming under fire is because they are pro-life, which with that in mind, by the way, that's Father Tim Grumbach. I want your thoughts on this, Father Tim. Mm-hmm. Recently. Recently, Lila Rose of Live Action, many of you know her and her work in the various videos that she releases online. Uh, she had a video that came out really talking about how there's no medical reason that a woman should need an abortion. In fact, she's done a number of interviews um, and speeches on this. And all of a sudden, Facebook has been removing her videos or censoring her content, really censoring it, letting her know that all the videos will be you know, not receiving so much uh, traction or distribution because they've been fact-checked. And here's the kicker, Father Tim, the fact-checkers. Who are they? They are two abortionists. Oh, you don't say. And where, where have we gotten to that all of a sudden Facebook is saying, oh, we'll have abortionists fact-check your videos when in reality we have over 1,000 medical professionals signing from all over the world, in fact. We have gynecologists, all sorts of medical professionals saying that there's no medical necessity for an abortion to save a woman's life. And these you know, couple of abortion uh, doctors who came out uh, against Lila Rose, 
one, they are going to be profiting from abortion, so no surprise there that, right. they're, that they're promoting this. But also they make this elementary misunderstanding against the pro-life movement and the understanding that there is no medical necessity for an abortion to save a mother's life. What they misunderstand is, one, the very elementary in, in the catechism, the law of double effect and understanding that, yes, there are medical procedures that can be done to protect a mother's life that will, as a double and unintended effect, take the life of the child. But this is not an intended and direct abortion. And so they're misunderstanding that that's still a possibility within Catholic uh, ethics and, and morality and saying that, oh, you know, Lila Rose doesn't know what she's talking about. Oh, gosh, if anyone knows what they're talking about, it would be her. I do a lot of pro-life apologetics trainings with young people. And just this past summer, there was uh, we were doing a mock debate. Half the kids in the room were pro-abortion, half were pro-life. And they just do, you guys, you would be just amazed by the level of depth and real compassion in the arguments that not only they're creating on the pro-life side, but they're responding to on the pro-abortion side. And one of the kids pretending to be pro-abortion said, well, you know, my wife is pregnant and she's going to die if she doesn't have this abortion if she has this baby she's going to die and it was interesting because all the kids went silent dead mm. silent they didn't know what to say they knew it was wrong but they had so much compassion for the woman in this mock situation here's the reality father tim just really pointed out that the church is talking about the law of double effect so if a woman is pregnant and she needs a treatment because she has cancer she can go through that treatment for cancer now that might really pose extreme risks to that baby but that doesn't mean she has to forego the treatment. She could choose to. That would be very heroic and she would be filled with graces to do so. And we have a number of saints in the Catholic Church who are known for making that very heroic act. Many. One of most recently, St. Gianna of mm -hmm. Mola. Mm -hmm. uh, that it, it's really incredible to see, but here's the reality, whether it's an earlier pregnancy or a later point in the pregnancy, you can do a preterm delivery. Now that child might not be a viability. Therefore the child may not be able to live outside of the womb, but that is not a direct killing of the baby. Right. And to clarify a little bit more on the law of double effect and how it applies to a, a case where a mother's life may be in danger um, during pregnancy, but not because of the pregnancy. One of the actually recent cases that this really came to a head was actually in Phoenix. You might remember it was about eight or nine years ago. There was an abortion performed in a Catholic hospital and Bishop Olmstead, who we've, you know, we've talked about his, his writings and his teachings uh, here on Trending before, threatened to uh, or decided to take away the Catholic identity of that hospital because a direct abortion was committed to save this mother's life. And it's easy from, uh, from the outside of the church to judge the church on that, to judge the bishop on that and, and say they're so behind the times, they don't care about the woman, they don't care about the mother's life. But what had been decided was to perform this abortion to save the life of a mother who, I believe she was having some serious blood pressure issues and, and her heart was not going to be able to survive. It's usually called yeah. preeclampsia. Yeah, yeah, that, that, very well, that very well may be what it was. And you know, instead of treating the illness, they performed an abortion. Mm. And the bishop said, that's an abortion that, and this is a Catholic hospital. It will no longer be a Catholic hospital. And that decision was made. Um, so it really raised the question of what is the law of double effect? How does it come into play here? And to define that, you know, looking at the catechism number 2263, and that's actually in the section of thou shall not kill when looking at the Ten Commandments. And it, it refers to an act of self-defense against an aggressor may have a double effect. 
One is the preservation of one's own life, and the other is the killing of the aggressor. Now, the analogy, we have to be very careful because um, a, a child in the womb is not an unjust aggressor. Right. Um, but that it, it still refers to it in the context of self-defense that, you know, one... Self-preservation. Uh, Self-preservation. Yeah. That one action is intended, but the other is not. The preservation of life is intended. The taking the life of the other is not. And so that can be applied to the situation of saving a mother's life. For example, if if a, a child begins to develop outside of the uterus, this is something that will, you know, the child will not survive. And, you know, very likely the mother will not as well. And so what is intended is not the direct killing of this child, but the... Um, resolution of the, um, you know, what of what's not right, of, right. What, of what's not developing correctly. And uh, this is a perfect example because in the case of, let's give two examples, whether it's, um, I just lost, I'm thinking of hypermesis now, mm-hmm. um, preeclampsia, mm-hmm. where a woman is going to have seizure risk, she's going to have high blood pressure. This is if caught early, they would actually do in many cases an early delivery, mm-hmm. or they might do an emergency C-section. There are another number of things that would be done. In fact, my dear, one of my closest friends ended up having preeclampsia. They didn't mm-hmm. catch it ahead of time. She was going into labor and she very, very, very likely could have died while giving birth. It was mm-hmm. a very, very difficult situation, incredibly pro-life family. And this is where, again, if caught, which it shouldn't be caught because it's being monitored, we're able to see, okay, well, an early delivery or various treatment can be given, but an early delivery is the answer. It's not an abortion. And an early delivery, unfortunately, if that child can cannot survive outside of the womb. That was never the intent. As soon as that child is delivered via C-section, whatever it might be, the doctors are fighting for both the mother and the child to the best of their ability. And that's where we have this was saying, love them both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right, in the Latin for uh, you know, primum non notary, d- first do no harm. Is mm-hmm. you know this is this is a a, a regular rule of the the doctor's life, and um, unfortunately, it you know is not the case for abortion doctors. Is you know first do no harm. Um, so I'm curious that debate that was happening with those young people was there a resolution? Um, in allowing the conversation to continue to move forward, we didn't interrupt the debate, but mm-hmm. helping them to see that actually there's never a medical necessity for mm-hmm. an abortion. Right. And they see that now, and they see that even you know there's a reason why all the OBGYNs, gynecologists do not perform abortions. Mm-hmm. I think it's well over 80 percent, and I think closer yeah. to 90 that don't perform abortions because it's not basic life-saving medical health care for women. Right, right. And that, that Dublin statement from the you know thousand plus uh, physicians and doctors who said that there's no medical necessity for an abortion uh, to save a mother's life. And so it's uh, it would be really important, you know, in a debate like that to be able to ask the, the right questions about what is the medical procedure in order to protect the mother's life? Um, doing one's best to protect the child's life as well, knowing that that may be an unintended consequence as well. Yeah. And we need to spread the word. I think this is where you come in because we need you to help people understand this argument. There's a difference between direct killing and early delivery. Yeah. Early delivery does not intend the killing of the child, nor does, say, a treatment intend the killing of a child. And so we need to really, through word of mouth, have these conversations because these conversations are being censored online. And although I don't like the online censorship, what I do like is that it forces us to remember that we need to get uncomfortable and not hide behind a computer or a cell phone screen. And that the the intention of an act is so important too as well, to be able to explain, you know, Catholic morality, natural law, being able to understand that uh, what, 
you know, the, the pro-abortion movement does not have the language for is that we understand the, the sources of morality come from, you know, the object of an act, its intention, and also the circumstances is that it's not as black and white as we would like for it to be, but it's, you know, the intention of an act, uh, you know, our, our intended goal, the, the primary end by which we're performing an act, you know, does have uh, an effect on, you know, our culpability and uh, the, the morality of the act. Coming up, we'll actually be talking about a case where an autopsy has revealed that abortion was the cause of the woman's death. And in fact, it gets into this whole health risk of whether or not someone should have been delivering a baby to begin with. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hey there, I wanted to share this story with you. It's really important. It has to do with a woman who died after giving birth, or sorry, after receiving an abortion. So my words are a little off today. This woman who's a mother of a four-year-old just earlier this year at the beginning of the summer went in to have an abortion in Cleveland. Now this abortion clinic actually has over two dozen recorded emergencies within the clinic. Now, those are just recorded emergencies because as we know, especially if you listen to the testimony of many of the people who worked in the abortion industry, they really try to cover up medical emergencies that take place. In fact, this clinic's been known for telling people to walk outside of the abortion clinic and then call 911 because they didn't want to document an emergency or any major health problem in their facility. So here's the story. This young woman in Cleveland went in to have the abortion. She had the abortion, was left to go home. It was an outpatient procedure. She's someone who, in performing the autopsy, they found never should have uh, had the abortion, yet alone an outpatient abortion. She was actually at very high risk. In fact, she had two babies. She had one baby that was a regular in utero pregnancy, but the other baby had actually, the twin, had developed in the fallopian tube. Father Tim Grumbach is here with me. I'd love your perspective on this. So what happened is it seems like at some point the fallopian tube, likely from the pressure of the abortion and the suction, was caused to burst and the woman died as a result of bleeding that entered into the abdominal area from the abortion. And this is something that any clinic should have been able to notice before performing any kind of procedure which, you know, it, it creates a very dark irony that they would look at crisis pregnancy centers and call them fake abortion clinics when we have these so-called clinics who can't even note something as, uh, as, as basic and as, as dangerous as this before they perform a procedure. And to be known as a clinic, we can use the square quotes if we'd like, that has these medical emergencies rather consistently. And so it does create a very dark irony that, you know, we don't want to laugh at, but we have to point out. Well, and it's frustrating, Father Tim, because not only did she have a tubal pregnancy that was undiagnosed, obviously, but also she had a heart condition that would Mm -hmm. have put her at very high risk to have an abortion. And so this is absolutely unacceptable medical care. It gives no cause for concern for patients. And the fact that this woman was doing so poorly immediately after the abortion facility makes me question if they ever even should have released her from that clinic. Yeah, it's it's incredible to look at the stats. You know, it, it says that her, her heart probably weighed about twice as much as the average uh, adult heart. And just looking at that and, and saying, how, how could they not be aware of the dangers that they were entering into first? I, I don't want to go into a doctor's 
uh, office, a hospital that yeah you know, that can't even notice something like that before performing a procedure that would you know one put one's heart under such great distress, mm-hmm. and and then um, to miss something as obvious as they did. You know, looking at this, I just want to shout out to everyone who's in the Cleveland area. There's a call to action for all of you. In fact, on September 17th, there's going to be a press conference in front of this abortion clinic because they have harmed enough women. And so I really want to call all of you who are in or near the Cleveland area there in Ohio, please come out and support this press conference. Stand up and honor this woman who died while others are not having respect for her life as seen through the poor medical care that she received. Coming up, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk here. Father Tim Grumbach is in studio. You're listening to Trending. So Elon Musk had some words of wisdom this summer. In fact, he referred to this decline in the population. I don't know if you know, but here in the United States, we're at a replacement level of about 1.7. Basic replacement level is 2.1. And Elon Musk has acknowledged that one of the biggest problems facing the world is this population collapse. Yeah, and we've got this pseudoscience of overpopulation and this the 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 population explosion that there aren't there will not be enough resources, not enough land, and and everything like that. And you know this is something that's been going on since what the '60s or the '70s with a really a pseudoscience that's been disproved over and over again as far as the population growing throughout the world and the world becoming un. Uh, sustainable, the population becoming unsustainable. So it's interesting to hear a a voice as as prominent as Elon Musk's now um, saying what you know the opposite of this pseudoscience that has become rather popular, even within the political sphere of talking about how are we going to handle overpopulation and the solution almost always being well contraception and abortion rather than you know you know distribution of resources and and well how how about virtue trying that out. You know, I look at this and Elon Musk, I really want to say thank you because he's going to really be pulling, I think, more attention to this issue. I mean, even the royal family out there in England can't even acknowledge this. You have Meghan Markle and Prince Harry talking about how they're only going to have, at most, I think they said two children. They vowed to only have two. I mean, good grief. Do you not recognize? And Elon Musk himself said it. It's very out of date if you still think there's a population problem. And demographers have been warning us for years. Father Tim, there is a population issue. We're over, overpopulated with older people. Does that mean we kill them? No, that means part of the problem is that we don't have enough young people because they aren't being born to care for the elderly. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother conversation to have. We can look at Belgium and right. the Netherlands and Luxembourg and just that whole section of Europe right there. Um, well, we can talk about that later. But um, what this calls to mind for me, any every time the idea of a you know population collapse or a population explosion comes up, I think of this ridiculous movie that came out, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago called Idiocracy. Okay, I keep yeah. being told okay, about this yeah. movie. I still haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the general idea is that you know uh, this guy who's not too bright, he's, he's a part of the army. Uh, there are very smart people in the army. All my siblings very smart. Um, <laughs> but this this guy is, you know, he's kind of run out of options. And so he agrees to let himself be cryogenically frozen. And at some point they forget about him in the project. And then I think like there's some great like world ending thing that happens and you know, he's forgotten and he wakes up, you know, how many ever hundreds of years later, and it turns out he's the smartest man alive. And this is because all of the smart and successful people stopped having children. Mm-hmm. They either waited too late or they didn't have time for children. Does this sound familiar at all? Right. And the only people who were having children were the, you know, pardon this, but the rednecks and the, <laughs> the, the, the idiots. And so the world became dumber as the idiots had more children. 
but it's not happening that way right now. We can look at some, uh, you know, traditional Catholic circles and seeing, you know, these large families are, are coming back into the front and filling our churches. And maybe that's the, uh, the, the population explosion that we need is, you know, these, these good faithful Catholic families doing their best, not, you know, perfectly, but doing their best to be faithful to the teachings of the church and to welcome life. You know, we as a church, if we stay faithful to the teachings of Humanae Vitae and uh, everything that has come out since then from the church and, uh, and before that, and for the, yeah, Casa Canubi and, and all these tremendous uh, teachings on uh, you know, the, the gift of human fertility and, and the gift of sharing God's uh, creative act, with that kind of fidelity, you know, the, the church is going to come back to life. There's a reason that studies are showing that the happiest women out there are women who come from religious homes who are having children. There's a reason that we are seeing that as female happiness declines, people who choose to follow the path of sacrificial love in having a family are happier. And I think this is a reminder of hope for us that although we may see the population on the decline, that we as Catholics of people of faith are called to continue to follow the first and most basic commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And with that, the church dives into how you have a responsibility for the formation of that human being. Yeah, and just statistically looking at what has happened in China, for example, with their former one-child policy. What do they? Have? It's a two-child policy it's now. Technically, yeah. a two-child yeah. policy, but yeah. you still have to get permission. Yeah, but statistically, consider that. What is it? It's been about four hundred million children who've not been born because of that. Right. You know, consider that four hundred million souls that could have been contributing to this world, contributing to a better world, creating uh, means of distributing resources, and and in, instead they use this consequentialist idea of you know, if we if we are without these children we will be able to better control our population we'll be able to better control completely misunderstanding you know god's command to us to be fruitful and multiply and the traditional understanding of having these large families who can take care of one another instead what we're turning into is an idiocracy of sorts where you know the people who are considered wise and successful by this world are fading away because they're not when they're not having children, so they don't have these large families around them to take care of them as they grow older. And then we turn into something like Belgium or the Netherlands, where the elderly can be euthanized at very tremendously vulnerable points of illness, even if it's merely a, a well, not merely, yeah. but mental illness, mm -hmm. not necessarily physical a physical illness that is you know terminal, but a, a mental illness can be a reason. And so it's, it's all about this culture of death kind of winding itself together, weaving itself together with this denial of God's command towards fruitfulness. And if you're listening, I have a challenge for you as we're talking about this. How can you help be the answer? My, well, my question for you is what is getting in the way of you having a family? What's getting in the way? You know, I hear these excuses, especially, you know, I get it. I live in Southern California. It's expensive. And I hear people all the time say, I, I cannot afford to have another child. It is not possible. Uh, where do you need to do? What changes do you need to make? What maybe simplicity of life do you need to adopt? Because we live in a world of consumerism. And I remember having a guest on a couple of months ago and she talked about, you know, the sacrifices that were made to live on a single income. And she talked about her mother, how they lived on a single income. Her mother had one beautiful dress and that was it. It's what she wore on Sundays. It's what she wore to nice events. That was one of the sacrifices that their family had made in order to make sure that her mother growing up was present. Yeah, what a beautiful gift of sacrifice that she received then to be able to see that and to share that with her own family. And we live in Southern California. It gets a little bit expensive. And, and right. so you know, sacrifices must be made. And 
um, when we come to the point of sacrifice, there may still be further sacrifices where you know where, where mothers do need to work, but we we do need to do our best to make sure that the mother can be there for her her children. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said and argued about for that, but you know, understanding our circumstances and responsibility, and responsibility, right? Yeah, I yeah. think responsibility is so key. There's such a debate over working versus stay-at-home moms mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. single or dual income. At the end of the day, it comes to the level of responsibility for your family, mm-hmm. and we are so distracted from being present to one another, and we need to stop allowing the children to be the ones who've hurt because of it. We'll be right back. We're going to come up talking about some of the the current presidential candidates to take on pro-life policy along with the trial of David Delighton. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. We've had some weigh-in on pro-life policy that I briefly want to touch on. Bernie Sanders, one of the current candidates for the presidency, has really been talking about how we need to kind of allow for things such as Mexico City policy for, you know, foreign funding over abortion. And it's so disturbing because really it goes back to this really out of date mentality, which was never correct to begin with, that we need to control the population. Yeah, we need to control the population of the world because if it explodes, we'll have no resources or we will destroy the earth as if, you know, we, uh, there's a true care for the earth and not just for the resources that the earth has for us. I, you know, I've always wondered about that, this, you know, true care for the world and our worry about destroying it. I think it's more so a fear that we won't have what we need to survive rather than an actual genuine care for, uh, for creation. But with, with that said, you know, the, the reason that uh, Bernie Sanders puts forward for the need for contraception, you know, funding contraception and abortion as a part of our foreign aid to other nations is to help control over population. You know, this was part of these debates about uh, about the, the climate. Mm-hmm. Um, climate change. Uh, yes. And that the question what came up with so many of these uh, uh, Democratic possible nom- nominees for uh, for the presidency is you know what what will you do about overpopulation and almost the first thing that sanders goes towards is well you know appealing the the uh, mexico city policy and uh, promoting foreign aid in the form of you know funding abortion and contraception i'm getting so mad here mm-hmm. just as you're talking because the question to begin with if you're not listening please go back and listen is stupid the question is stupid why are we talking about overpopulation you have Italy and Hungary giving incentives to their people to have children. All of Europe is below replacement level by a lot. And so is the United States. And we could talk and go on and on about this. China is facing a crisis. By next year, they're going to have over 30 million unmarriable men because there are no spouses. They are literally importing mail order brides are no joke in China. They're importing women into their country so these men can marry. And just think about the level of sexual exploitation, manipulation and abuse those women are going through. Are you kidding me? Overpopulation is not a problem. Right. And that their solution is to um, especially look at poorer countries to prevent their overpopulation. I'm feeling triggered, Father. Yeah, yeah, I I don't... (laughs) 
I, I, don't, I don't know for sure what the intention of their heart is when they bring that up, but what it sounds like is let's make sure those poorer countries stop producing poor children and poor people. And that is yeah. eugenics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I think a movie came out, what, just a year or so ago, one of the, um, was it Civil War? Which one of which one of the Marvel movies was it with all the Avengers just right, two right. years yeah, ago? Well, you had Civil War, you have Infinity War, you have Endgame. Okay, it yeah. was Infinity War, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. ultimately, the, right. the bad guy was the one who was implementing eugenics. Mm-hmm. Now, his eugenics might have seemed a little less bad because essentially just half of the randomized population disappears. Well, here it's even worse. It's intentional killing. Right, yeah. Thanos' intention in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was to destroy uh, half of the population of the universe in order to make sure that everyone had enough resources, you know, because of overpopulation. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if this, you know, great big Hollywood uh, production uh, realized what they were doing, talking about, <laughs> oh, you know, the, the the solution to overpopulation is killing half the population. They realized exactly what it was that they were saying, that they were, you know, pretty much putting the the words of, you know, the, the pro-abortion cult into the, the language, you know, into the words of uh, of Thanos, a name which is very similar to the Greek word for death, Thanatos, and that the bad guy is the one who desires a a solution to population explosion. And, you know, by doing so, he was just going to snap his fingers and make all of, you know, half of the population of the universe go away. And the question always came up, well, why don't you just snap your fingers and make like twice as many resources? <laughs> you know? but, uh, but that is not the way that uh, death thinks. Hey, that's what's sad in the culture right now. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You are listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Right now, we are in the middle of the preliminary hearings for the probably biggest pro-life case you will hear for some time. That is with David Delayden, Planned Parenthood, Stem Express, and other uh, fetal tissue procurement groups and those who are involved. You may remember back in 2015, David Delayden came out with a series of videos exposing Planned Parenthood, the Abortion Federation of America, and multiple organizations for their illegal profiting of aborted baby parts, also for the illegal manipulation of the abortion procedures. So, in fact, they were delivering babies born alive, changing the abortion procedures to be illegal procedures like partial birth abortion. This has been absolutely atrocious. It's merited a congressional investigation that occurred, which they were then recommended for prosecution. I mean, we could go on and on. And now here, David Delayden and his team are facing over 15 counts of felony and up to 10 years in prison. Yeah, it's really hard to believe. Well, I guess it's not so hard to believe anymore. Um, it's, it's almost not even surprising anymore to see someone who is unveiling uh, the horrors of the abortion industry is a- attacked in such a political and judicial way and has this many counts brought against him for revealing um, just really the horror of it all. It's interesting. If you're looking at any of the preliminary hearings, one thing that's interesting, not only is Facebook been blocking live action like LaRose, but Twitter has been blocking David Delighton from his live tweets. And I think part of the reason not only is because they're taking a pro-abortion stance through Twitter, but also because the content is so horrifically blunt and revealing in and of itself. And it's interesting because the pro-abortion groups are putting up uh, witnesses that they think are just going to do an incredible job line. They get up there they start lying and David Delighton slides up another video he and his attorneys and it directly contradicts all of these statements that these pro-abortion witnesses and abortions are making on the stand 
yeah, we've we've been promised that this was going to happen, right? You know, the, right. No, nothing is in the dark that won't be brought to light. And I, I think that the, the more and more that we see of the horrors of the abortion industry, the more we realize how ridiculous their defense of it will seem. Uh, I've, I've always been convinced that uh, when, when Satan begins to bring his darkness out more and more, it becomes more and more violent, but it will attack itself. And we'll be able to look at it and say, this is ridiculous. This is a very poorly put together attack compared to the defense and the protection that God has in store for his holy ones. That what we're seeing here is the darkness coming to light and it may take some time, but I think we will eventually be able to look back at this, you know, almost the way that we look back at slavery here in the United mm-hmm. States and, you know, to say that we're still, yes, yeah, so there, there are still uh, repercussions from it and uh, in certain parts of the country, but that we can look back on and say, we defended this as a nation. There were parts of our nation who, who defended this and that seems ridiculous to us now. But I, my hope is that we'll be able to have, you know, the patients and you know, those who support abortion now will one day be able to look back at this and receive with humility, you know, this darkness being brought into light and, you know, receive a conversion of heart and be able to say, what, what a terrible, you know, rid- ridiculousness. This is you know, almost, almost cosmically humorous what the darkness is trying to do in the light. And I think a lot of people are being called to make great sacrifices to stand up for truth right now. You know, I think of people living modern day saints like St. John Paul the Great, who lived under communist Russia, who lived underneath the communism of China, who lived underneath, uh, you know, the suppression of what took place during World War II in Nazi Germany. I mean, I look at people who lived in Lithuania, who lived under communism and spoke up and rallied and took arms in the streets to prevent just the oppression of the people and the oppression of religious liberty. And we could go on and on. And I think David Delighton is one of those people who's willing to make the sacrifice, possibly facing years in prison. But I don't think that he has any fear. He has 15 attorneys. The pro-abortion movement has an army of attorneys. And we're talking numbers of attorneys in the thousands here. And yet truth wins. Even if we're knocked down in this small battle, we've already won the war. And so we need everyone to lean in, to pray. And in fact, I've posted links online where you can donate to his trial currently taking place. In fact, the main trial begins October 1st or 2nd-ish, I believe. Yeah, and I'll bring up another name of a, of a soul that spoke out so powerfully and sacrificed everything for the sake of that, uh, St. Mother Teresa. Yes. You know, this, this was a woman that nobody, nobody, they, some tried, um, was it Christopher Hitchens, maybe one, one of the, uh, oh, the new atheists her. who who tried to speak against her. But, you know, aside from that delusion, there's nobody who could say she didn't love the people who were in front of her. She didn't love that. She didn't love men. She didn't love women. She didn't love children. Nobody could say that yet. She could get up in front of who was it? The UN <laughs> yes. and say that abortion is a war of mothers against their children. Uh, abortion creates a uh, violence between mothers and their children. And so this is a woman who, who knew the darkest part of humanity and would be able to, you know, point that out to the light and say, Hey, look at what this is doing to our souls, to the nations that consider themselves prosperous are actually, you know, in great spiritual poverty because of what we are allowing our you know, mothers to do to their children and fathers who do not stand up to protect their children uh, as well. And so we're, we're seeing that, you know, we, we don't want to uh, compare anyone to St. Mother Teresa, St. John Paul II right now, they are, you know, anybody fighting against this, you know, you are living out your own sainthood in your, uh, defense of life and the sanctity of life, but take their example and see that they 
sacrificed everything in order to be able to say what they say and live the way that they lived. When I was growing up, my mom uh, had uh, corresponded with St. Mother Teresa in a mm-hmm. series of letters. Oh, wow. Part of it was in recognition of the pro-life work she was doing in opening up the maternity home. And one of the things that Mother Teresa really emphasized was essentially the spiritual poverty that we live in. And many people talk today about how we're being called to a white martyrdom. You may not have your head chopped off the way we are seeing it happen in the Middle East, but you very well may be called to lay everything down in a white martyrdom. And that's going to require of you to give up a lot of the worldly goods that we are so disorderly attached to. Start it now or you will not be prepared. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 